Also, that's not legal advice. <laughs> right, you have to be attempting to conspire in order to conspire. Come on. <laughs> but you don't need four people either. <laughs> <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Alternate Universe in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 238 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're making some revisions to the old lore and explaining the true motivations behind our evil plans in a discussion about retconning. But first, the party does some crafting in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the self-forged approaches perfection in the character creation forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Fish in the Pot and the Fish in the Pot Characters Collection. Fresh off the success of the one-page dungeon collection and just in time for Zine Quest 2, Fish in the Pot is a brand new Kickstarter campaign that is live now. So you can go and back the character collection on Kickstarter to get a 20-page zine packed with quirky characters ready for use in your game. Yep, the collection includes merchants, artisans, scoundrels, thinkers, celebrities, professionals, and scallywags, all with loads of personality packed into their quick-to-read descriptions. That seems to be about everybody that you'll need in a town that I can alternately pillage and then build back up. Yep, I love the uh, I love the quick grab NPC guide, you know? Like, I uh, I need somebody to fill a spot here. I just need them to be slightly more interesting than vanilla. Give me that guy. <laughs> or... I need a great idea as an inspiration for an NPC to build an arc around. Go pick it out. You know, this just leads to mutually assured destruction where the players are like, oh yeah, what's this person's name? And you're like, I actually happen to have their name right here. And then they just (laughs) do it every time. (laughs) So the collection includes top shelf illustrations and features tables to randomly assign your characters, personal motivations, and dark secrets. The Kickstarter runs from February 16th through February 29th as part of Kickstarter's Zine Quest 2. So check it out on Kickstarter. So Ishan, I just got in my uh, greedy little dice goblin hands the new set of lab dice from Chessex. Oh, I saw. You're posting it all over Discord. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, also I post the bad ones on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> which tells you how I curate my personality. <laughs> look, uh, they all look fine some of them look very pretty but but you said the uh colors weren't quite coming out the way they look in person yeah they're uh i think the pictures i took were a little more um a little more like brown than red uh whatever my camera filter is but like most of them are good uh if you like gemini dice they're they're great which are kind of the two color like blends of uh, chess x dice but some of them are very very bad they're just muddy or they're not even so was this a shot in the dark for you in terms of maybe getting something that would be ultimately collectible in the future? Yep. And uh, these lab sets are uh, likely to be collectible because maybe two or three of them will go into full production. So the remainder will become pretty rare. So I'm just going to hold on to them for a while, even if they're ugly. Are you going to play with them or does that diminish their value? It does diminish the value, but you know, I'm going to play with them. I bring <laughs> I you know. dice to every game. I know. <laughs> You know, and I enjoy watching you roll them, uh, especially when you roll low, because then you've gotten nothing out of this experience. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Bad, like bad, ugly dice that also don't roll well. Why are we here? (laughs) And I spent money and they're worthless. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Bad, ugly dice that also go into production. I'm screwed. (laughs) Right. You know, if if I'm damaging these and they're worth less because they're no longer mint in package, hey, I would prefer to at least crit, right? Uh Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, I wish you well with your new and extraordinarily expensive hobby. It's not that expensive. They're like eight bucks a pop. You oh, know? Okay, actually, like, that is the bad problem. Is is you make it up on volume? <laughs> it's, right. Okay. So it's it's like eating candy. Great. Exactly. <laughs> For a little more than the cost of a cup of coffee, like two cups of coffee, and you've got yourself a set of dice. Why stop? <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So. The Descent into Midnight Kickstarter is also live right now. Friends and friends of the show, Rich Howard, Taylor LaBrush, Richard Kreutz Landry, and a bunch of other cool people have created for your enjoyment a Powered by the Apocalypse game that takes place on a world full of water, 
and wonder. I don't know. Is that the tagline? No. I just made it up, but they should go yeah, with it. They should go with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're a little bit talking your own book because you worked on this project, didn't you? Uh, it's true. And I'm continuing to work on it. Although uh, I am merely the copy editor on this particular project. So don't laud me too highly. Unless you see typos. And then in that case, vilify me on Twitter. In which case, lord them forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, the game is set on an ocean planet, but there is otherwise no real specific setting or species. Uh, you make it all up on the spot in your first session, kind of improvised as a group. Yeah. And you know, like other PBTA games, you've got five attributes that are basically your stats. But but these, unlike a lot of other games, are not based around your physical capabilities or even necessarily your your mental ones, but things like drive and um the the connection you feel with other people in terms of building a community um how much uh, hope uh, are, are you able to feed into uh, this community that you've created these are it's a really philosophical game that people end up playing mm-hmm. it's like a game perfectly perfectly engineered by rich to make rich yeah. cry <laughs> And then the rest of us just sort of, you know, get the splash back from the tears and then we start to sniffle just a little bit. <laughs> Even those whose hearts are just hard balls of old rejected dice. So uh, the art that has come out for it, the design stuff has all looked gorgeous. Um, it is now on Kickstarter. So go ahead, check it out at DescentIntoMidnight.com. So Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? Well, the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, in the insular city of Vedekir, the party is chasing a killer. Now, Decimus, the Kenneth artificer, has just discovered a disconcerting fact. Just like the Undarians who died with the party on the Day of Morning, it turns out he has been dissected and reassembled at some point in the past, <laughs> apparently while he was still alive. Yeah, and meanwhile, uh, Sergeant Bach, the dwarf, is distraught when he learns of his colonel, Ephraim's death. So the party searches the entire sanatorium where all of the Ondarians have been recuperating. But it turns out that they can't find two of them, Sien or Margana. And Bach, their compatriot, isn't sure where they've gone. An inspection of their rooms reveals that Sien tidied up before leaving, so... You know, maybe she put things in order and just walked out the door on an errand and didn't return. But Margana left in a hurry. And following her tracks, it looks like she basically burst out of her room and then hurled herself over the third floor railing and then descended into the alley behind the building, which is, of course, the same alley where Ephraim's body was found just two days before. So in that alley, uh, the party finds more of the black residue that coated Ephraim's corpse, and believing this to be their best lead, they concoct a method to locate more of the powder. Yeah, I think you were like, wait, I identified this kind of sort of in the first place when it was on Ephraim's body, like it's a it's an organic substance, right? Um, where can I find more of it? Well, <laughs> as a druid, <laughs> Warden leaves notes in druidic around town asking for assistance. Right, like hobo markings everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like little little uh, scratches into the, into the pavement and, you know, like chalk on the wall. Right, yo, need some help. <laughs> exactly. So that night, uh, Warden is contacted by another druid, a child of winter, in the form of a cat, who tells him the powder resonates like Maybaran ebony a rare kind of tree infused with necrotic energy from the plane of undeath, which of course everybody knows of because they use it to make wands. Yeah. Now Ward meets this child of winter uh, and is like, uh, why, why are you here? And of course the, the, the response is um, nonspecific, but the children of winter, basically, I don't know, a uh, Nurgle cult. <laughs> yeah. Death, <laughs> death and disease is good. Right. Um, it, it culls the weak and, and yeah, I do happen to know about this uh, death tree. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so upon hearing uh, all of this information about making magic items out of the substance, Lenore taps into her black market contacts. Uh, she's never been to this city, but she knows how to get in touch with the underground pretty much anywhere. And she tries to purchase a spellcasting focus, one that's a bit more common, an orb made of Mabaran obsidian, which has similar properties. So, using the orb, Decimus the Artificer builds a divining rod capable of tracking the powder's strong necrotic aura. 
But, of course, before they actually set out to find out who or what killed Ephraim and where they might be, back in the inn, they all examine themselves very closely and discover that, yes, every single one of them has in the past also been vivisected. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about retconning. And if it doesn't go that well, we will just retcon it next week. No big deal. Do it again. (laughs) So what is retconning, Ishan? Well, so it stands for retroactive continuity, but I don't think I've ever actually heard anybody use that full term before. Yeah, also like it gets used as a verb, so it's kind of a weird, like (laughs) a weird shorthand. Right, I'm retroactively continuing this, I suppose. (laughs) So it just means you're changing an aspect of a story after the fact in order to alter its meaning or even maybe alter the results of the story. You know, it makes no sense that a moon-sized battle station has a single obvious design flaw in which a torpedo can blow the whole thing up in one shot. So 40 years later... Disney had to write an entire movie to explain why. <laughs> and the thing I love about this, and, and it actually seems to be what happens usually with retconning, is when you're watching Star Wars for the first time, you aren't thinking, wait, why is there a tiny port? You're just like, wow, this is really cool, and that's amazing. And then only later, when you're thinking about it, are you like, who designed that thing? That was really dumb. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and all then, they had to do was put a curve in that shaft, right? <laughs> Right. (laughs) (laughs) One little twist in that exhaust shaft and hey, problem solved. Also, it's the size of a moon. Wouldn't there be any torsion? Whatever, whatever. Okay, they they made a movie. (laughs) (laughs) This also happens when, for example, you know, a favorite character, a fan favorite character dies at the end of a series. And of course, it's supposed to be the end of the series. Like, they die. That makes sense. But sometimes you want to bring the character back. Sometimes the actor wants to come back. Sometimes... 10 years later, you want a sequel. Well, if there was no body, maybe that means there wasn't any death. I think maybe one of the first times this happened was um, Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Fell off a waterfall, definitely dead. 10 years later, turns out he faked that death. Oh, I mean, I did not know that. Yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle, well, one, people were super pissed at him for killing Sherlock. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, 10 years later, he was like, I really could use some money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this is also kind of like the the james bond thing you know oh, where totally like james bond was a person until they started switching actors and then it became a title and then like in the the latest series the um the the daniel craig series like oh it's back to being a single person again it's all a little bit hazy how this all fits together right yeah uh doctor who as well right he was never supposed to be a body switching regenerating alien until the first actor was like hey, i'm out yeah right <laughs> All right, so let's talk about how to use this in RPGs, though. And these these uses don't need to be nearly as expansive as the kinds of things we've already been talking about. I think the first most common use is probably just to correct a small mistake that you've made in the game. Like, you can retcon the last turn that somebody took or the last round, just almost like an instant rewind in the game because suddenly we just realized that someone screwed something up or the GM is like, oh, wait, actually, hold on. This other thing happened. Whoops. Uh, Let's just move back in time. Six seconds. Hold on. Retcon. Right. Yeah. You can use this as like the sort of like quick clarification. Like maybe you have said something or, you know, uh, taken some action that was misinterpreted. Right. So now you're like, wait, 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 go back. Let me, let me explain what I meant (laughs) so that we are reacting to what I intended, not to what you mistakenly interpreted. Right. Or crap, I misread my notes or I skipped a line that was super important and you'll (laughs) see why it's super important in a second. Right. (laughs) Yeah. This also happens um, in between sessions a lot, actually. You know, people will be talking about it and then especially as a GM, you're like, huh, how did that go? And I'm sort of prepping for the next session and you're like, oh, no, I forgot that they definitely said this thing. Crap. All right. Well, I'll just do it in the recap email. Hey, everyone. Also, like, slight slight tweak, they actually said this thing, um, and then they gave you this item, which you're super going to (laughs) need. Or, like, (laughs) quick thing, uh, I'm retconning your memories, because you have none, because you're players, so I'll just tell you what happened uh, according to canon, (laughs) instead of what actually happened at the table, which you barely remember. Right, the retcon on the sly. Uh, Here is the recap. This is what happened. Here's the summary of what he explained, <laughs> even if he never actually said it. 
And then, of course, you can do this much, uh, much later. You know, something happened in town. You go off an adventure. You come back to town. You realize whatever happened in town, one small thing in town didn't make sense or a person's name doesn't make sense or the location of a store or whatever. You just retcon it. Maybe you like pointed out to everyone like, hey, I was wrong about where in town this place was. Or you you just talk like it was always like that and nobody notices. Right. Uh, this can also be used to tweak your characters. Um, I think that is something that happens a lot with like long running games like D and D, where mm-hmm. you have lots of character change over the course of a game, like mechanically, is like sometimes you got to change stuff because it turns out it's less fun than you thought it would be, and I mm-hmm. don't want to be like marred with this character that isn't actually fun to play. Totally. Like, it can just be, hey, 10 levels into playing this character, I actually have never used whatever, this cantrip, right? And I only get three. Like, do you mind if I swap it out? Literally, no one has seen me use it. Or like, maybe I used it that one time. It makes sense that I would have a different one, right? Right? Or uh, sorcerers, for example, or, you know, whatever. A lot of, um, like, psychers pick uh, powers, and sometimes you can swap them out when you learn new ones. It, It can be interesting in game to talk about how like you've been practicing this new one you've kind of forgotten how to do that other one or you've like you know turned your energies into into a different kind of magic or whatever or you can just be like ah we're gonna retcon that let's just say i always had this spell yeah or or like hey i uh you know i've moved in a direction with this character where the feat that i spent on resilient um maybe would be better if it were sentinel you know it just fits my character better can i swap it at my next level yeah, this is especially true when you get new books, right? Like, oh my oh, god, yeah. I built an entire character to do this one cool thing. Like, I mean, we built swashbucklers in the forge before there was a swashbuckler. Uh-huh. And yep. I would Level, be annoyed uh, if I, <laughs> episode 1. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly retconned. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, I'm just going to play a swashbuckler cool. <laughs> it can happen with things like names. Um the first, I think maybe like 3 or 4 weeks that we were playing the Gates of Morning campaign, your character wasn't named Warden at all. Mm-mm. He was a warden. Yes. He was a <laughs> warden of a grove, and his name was Killian, which I could not be called Killian for a year. So right. I decided to switch it to Warden. <laughs> you guys probably would have just called me Warden anyway, and I think I would have just introduced myself as like a warden. Yeah. Uh, I'm the warden. Right. And I'm we're the like, warden of the grove. You know? Cool. We like, like that name title. better too. We also like that name better, so great. Exactly. <laughs> Every time I say Killian out loud, I feel like I'm talking about a, a crappy Irish red beer. <laughs> I die a little bit inside every day. So don't trust a random name generator. <laughs> and then we talked about this before, but anytime um, I'm running a new game or new campaign, I always sort of have a blanket rule. If you want to retcon your character build or switch things around or try out something new within like the first month or so, feel free to do that. Like you want people to be playing something that is interesting for the entire uh, life of the game. And if you try something out and find out that's not that great, just retcon it. And you can even like keep them the same person and backstory and personality and connections just great now they're not a wizard yeah i'm a rogue not a ranger or i'm a ranger not a rogue though good luck getting that right. switch. <laughs> why would you do that <laughs> uh, in addition to smoothing out a character's arc you can use retconning to just smooth out the story um this happened before you showed up for the original morning glory campaign but did you know we had a player named brian yeah, uh, you might say that that was the inciting event of me showing up in the Morning Glory campaign. <laughs> right, he moved away, and so we needed another player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think he played um, a sorcerer and then a druid during our early like retconny days of like we're not sure where this is going to go. And then like he played a druid for two sessions and then disappeared. So in the entire recap, we just never brought that character up. We retconned him out of existence entirely. Right, and you know, and then my character was introduced kind of organically in the story. Right. After like we had decided what the story is going to be about and we just almost kind of actually no, you and I working out your backstory retroactively we retconned you into the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like into the history. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then they stumbled upon me in the story. 
Uh, early in that game, Kallik, the paladin, who I think everybody knows as like a, a vengeance paladin who actually eventually like finds redemption, um, he started as a fire wizard. <laughs> that was Jim's original build, was fire wizard. <laughs> Not a whole lot different, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was like, oh, what channels my rage properly? I know, it's it's burning. <laughs> and then he was like, nah, I think it's actually sorting. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, it's it's funny because that was that was Calic's original build, while Brand's original build was cleric and paladin, right? And then I became fire sorcerer, and Calic became paladin. So we kind of swapped, right? Yeah, and and it's interesting, like that kind of retcon in game. We did differently. We just hand waved Calic, and everyone at the table just agreed that he had always been a paladin rather than a fire wizard because that was just way cooler. We thought yeah. we thought it worked really well. And for you, you and I had a conversation sort of above the table for a while about whether this is going to get lampshaded or whether we're just going to hand wave it, pretend like it never happened, or what. And I mean, the inciting event for that, of course, was fifth edition was released, right? right. Like this mm-hmm. was we started with playtest, and then fifth edition was released, and we all wanted to settle into actual final characters. Um, and the you know, Calix player Jim was more interested in Paladin. Uh, Brand's player me was more interested in Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. So speaking of fifth edition getting released, um, that was also the inciting event for moving the entire campaign into Eberron to begin with, which in itself was a retcon. We, we began basically nowhere in the Caves of Chaos uh, with a very sort of small-scale story, and then everyone's deciding what characters are going to be. We finally solidified that, and we're saying, hey, I think this is going to be a real campaign. Great. Retroactively, I'm saying you have always been an Eberron the entire time. Give me Eberron backstories, and then that all grew out of it when everyone was like level three already. Mm-hmm. Of course, this could have been like, hey, we're all going to be in Dark Sun, and then that would have been even more retconning, right? Hey, all those spears you found, they're made of bone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All that divine magic you've been casting, that's elemental. (laughs) Right. Uh, All those prisoners you spared, you didn't. You didn't, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is also like, you you find this sometimes like everybody brings their characters to the first game, and, and maybe you like go through your first adventure together and then like afterwards you're like oh wait we need something to tie us all together what if we're all members of an adventurer's guild right like who sent us on this quest in the first place because a lot of games just start in in medias res which is a great way to start just jump in and we're on a job right and then later only later are you like let's come up with a reason why we were doing that in the first place right and then you get more complicated with retconning when you are sort of tinkering with the story or previous stories. And this is a good way to recontextualize previous information. Oftentimes this will happen as part of a plot twist in a story. You know, uh, the thing that you thought you knew before, it turns out it wasn't actually that thing because now you have the context of uh, watching this conversation between two people from the outside with additional information. Yep, this is a good way uh, to transition into like your next arc or tier of play or, you know, series or something like that, right? The uh, the BBEG that you have been chasing over the course of this arc was actually acting to defend the world from a bigger threat or was the last thing standing in the way of some bigger threat, right? Like their plan, you know, that you have now thwarted was actually much bigger than whatever piece you were looking at. Yeah, and now tier two of this campaign is you've got to stop that bigger threat but the point of the retcon is to completely recontextualize all of your interactions with this bbeg that happened before you may have hated them you may have been so frustrated at all of the actions that they were taking and you just didn't understand why they were so relentless why they were so brutal etc etc and of course now you realize oh they were trying to save the entire world that makes sense Right. I guess we would have probably done the same thing. And actually, in Tier 2, maybe we are going to do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. We take up the BBEG's mantle. <laughs> Congratulations. You are the Santa Claus now. <laughs> yep, yep. I guess we have no choice but to be brutal. <laughs> Why doesn't Santa release all these elves? Because he's stopping... He's saving the world from a greater threat. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> Capitalism? <laughs> we flood the market, the markets will fall. <laughs> so, of course, your favorite use of retcons is uh, is through prophecy. What? 
Yeah. So every <laughs> single game you run has prophecy, uh, and they always have multiple meanings. I believe you're correct. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you you can retcon out like you know what seems to be referenced by this part of the prophecy. That person wasn't actually the chosen one, or perhaps like that person is, but they weren't the only chosen person, or something like that. Right. How many times are you watching a movie and the reveal is, but there is another. Exactly. <laughs> Perhaps your sister. <laughs> and this is a nice way to expand the scope of previous stories or to just to introduce an additional one. I think this will happen often if you don't necessarily want to like flip or invert the first part of your campaign before you go into the next arc. You can um, make it just one challenge in a series of challenges right so okay we finally defeated uh this great evil and you know in in the D context we're like level eight okay now what well it turns out that was just one of the five evils spread across the world and now for the next like two uh sections of the the campaign you're gonna go defeat the other four okay i see you plot of diablo <laughs> everything's just diablo it's diablo all the way down <laughs> uh this is also a great way to continue the same story you know if you have a, a dead npc or even a dead pc that is beloved like perhaps they have a child that you never knew about or a, a sibling you know a brother or a sister who uh steps into the fold once they perish yeah and i think this is this is where you're there's a blurred line between a retcon and just a carefully planned secret and it doesn't even necessarily need to come out which one it is, right? So if later, you know, a character has died and that was the end of their arc and that was really cool and dramatic and and meaningful for everybody and then you want to bring in another character, maybe you had planned all along that you, you know, your character had been married and had a child and those those people existed, but they weren't really part of the story because, of course, they're children and aren't going to come on this adventure, but maybe just later you're like, oh, I could have had a kid, right? Or the GM could be like, hey, you could have had a kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't ultimately matter, but it still lets you tap into the previously established information and all of the lore in the story. And then it immediately ties those new stories into those old ones. A lot of times, like using your your example of the case of chaos, right? Like after your story has concluded right after your one shot or your single adventure has been finished like now we turn it into a campaign so you have to recontextualize the area around that adventure so that there's more to do right yeah or you know just setting up a sequel to a previous campaign maybe something that you had played a decade ago right like i could certainly see a, a circumstance where you know, we're, we finished up uh, Gates of Morning, which is a sequel to, to Morning Glory, but I could see, you know, maybe someday we come back around years and years from now and play a full-on actual sequel. A whole bunch of stuff is going to get retconned in order to, like, create new hooks to tie them in. Because one, the, one of the things that you do when you're finishing a story is you um, sort of tie off all the hooks, right? You, you're trying you to, like, epilogue. wrap it up. Yeah, exactly. You wrap <laughs> it up in a nice bow. And then later when you're going back at it, you're kind of like hacking little bits off and, and trying to retcon it so you can tie it into something bigger. Yeah, you got you to gotta fray some edges there. Yeah. This is also really useful when you're dealing with external IP. Like think of any Star Wars game that you've ever played. You've got to personally retcon some stuff in your group that uh, might be canon in Star Wars in order to like get your characters in there and have them matter. Yeah, especially if it's a living IP, you know, like if you're trying to say you were playing in a post Empire game uh, in Star Wars and then, oh, episodes seven, eight, nine come out. <laughs> like it turns out there was no, you know, New Republic. It was just, well, straight into whatever the resistance era, you know. Yeah. And it's up to you if you want to be like, all right, we're in an alternate universe or whatever. Or you can just be like, yes, we were always just the resistance to begin with. Yeah, we weren't working for the New Republic. We were working for the post-Empire Federation that then gave way to the First Order. Right. And why didn't a New Republic work? Well, I mean, look at the history of our campaign. We screwed up so much. Right. <laughs> it's definitely our fault. They, they had these adventuring murder squads just running around all higgledy-piggledy. 
They had droids using lightsabers, and uh, people used crazy ways to use the Force, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but someone married a Sith. It was weird. It was weird. <laughs> this this Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk a bit about how to actually pull off this retconning. And when it comes to you know simple things like in-game revisions or like character revisions probably the easiest thing to do is just have everyone accept it and move on, right? Hey, it was always like this. My character was always like this. You always knew me like this. We have always known each other since, like, we went to the academy together, right? We're just we're just going to say that now because that's easier. Yeah, you got to do a little hand-waving here, right? Like, you can, uh, you're, you're sort of asking everybody to take the leap so that whatever interactions you've had in the past are successfully recontextualized, right? You don't You don't want to invite a gotcha for no reason, and then you can do what we did with Brand, right? Lampshaded in game, have him disappear and then reappear and be all different and have people actually be confused. Least of all him. Yeah. And then eventually have there be an actual in game explanation. Right. Uh, and then the other thing is you make it a thing, you know, like somebody used a wish and now like the history has been retconned or, you know, Thanos snaps his fingers or actually, I guess that isn't really a Thanos thing, but you know, like some element of time travel or some element of wish or prophecy or whatever has actually undone the history and like reconstituted it in the way that it needs to be going forward. Yeah. And you probably won't do this with just one character changing a little bit. You could, but if the entire universe changes, yeah, make that the quest. Or maybe just the party, make that the quest, because that's a fitting quest for parties to figure out why everything is different except for them, or they are completely different and the world is not. Right, yeah. Why, why do they have memories of the world that was when everyone around them does not? Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to figure out what to retcon and how to, I think the first thing to do is, is just find some small details and elevate their importance, things that were not important before, right? So every game has way more detail than can possibly actually be important to people because you're just sort of giving background information and you're, you're giving context and you know, you're talking about names of NPCs and whatever. So take a secondary NPC or somebody's relative who didn't actually matter in the story or I don't know, like the third line in the second stanza of a poem that only seems to be in there because it needed to rhyme. Uh, I definitely have never written a prophecy and stuck in a line just because it needed to rhyme, right? That's never happened. Nope. And then make it meaningful, make it important. Yeah, like I'll figure out why this is meaningful in about six months when they do stuff that seems to touch on it. Right. <laughs> and you're doing this after the fact. It's it's totally fine. It was not meaningful before. You know that. People probably know that too. But now it is like that second son. Well, why was there a second son to the diplomat in the first place? Well, it's because it's the Middle Ages and everybody has fourth sons. You know, right. I, I put a big family there because everybody had a big family, whatever. Turns out I'm going to decide the second son isn't a blood relation. He's uh, from a totally different house. He's adopted or he's a bastard or whatever. Right. Award. There you go. It's <laughs> always the answer. <laughs> which um, means that his father is batman i mean this is this is macbeth right yes oh totally like, like this is macbeth it, it, it's basically a retcon like oh no c-section <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you think uh shakespeare was uh sitting there being like ah how do i end this <laughs> no man of woman born hmm. where did that prophecy come from that was not Chekhov's prophecy okay <laughs> <laughs> That was that was a last minute retcon. Uh huh. <laughs> that was that was the uh, the work of a of a man paid by the minute yeah. <laughs> or, or paid by the word. <laughs> I gotta get this out the door. We got a play to put on. It really does uh, play out like an RPG a bit, where it's like I'm gonna kill you. You can't kill me. I'm immune. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah? <laughs> I have immunity to your immunity. <laughs> So another way to present the retcon rather than above the table is to actually have characters do it for you in game. This happens a lot with things like deathbed confessions, you know, oh, now that I'm about to die, I will tell you your true lineage or here is the the true quest or the secret that I've been hiding this entire time. Uh, suicide notes are actually really big for this too. You know, you, you both mix tragedy and uh, a big retcon to previous information. <laughs> tragedy and plot advancement. Right. Uh, family trees, of course, like famously muddled after you go back one or two generations. So who knows what your true origin might be? Mm-hmm. Or wait, 
there's a family tree here. Hold on a second. Who's oh. that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a branch here that I wasn't aware of. <laughs> no one told them told us about it. This Bible was too old for someone to scrub. <laughs> right. Uh, and of course, the same thing happened here with like Emery's soul in the Morning Glory campaign. You know, when Steph first created the character, she was like, yeah, um, bad things happened in my backstory with uh, devils and they killed my family. Great. That's a perfect motivation. We didn't touch it until, you know, level 14. <laughs> yeah. Well, so actually that was also kind of a weird thing because you had given us a prophecy in the Morning Glory campaign and it was the empty vessel, right? Like we had all, there were like seven descriptors that allegedly matched each of our characters and we were all trying to fit each other into which description matched which character. Mm -hmm. uh, and she was the empty vessel. And I think there were like three or four of us who were like, I don't know, that might be me. Totally. Like, like and, and I, rudely, it was Brand, I think, was a leader for a while because he's <laughs> dead on the inside. <laughs> yeah, this is a combination of like both preparation beforehand because I purposefully wrote that prophecy so that it could be interpreted multiple ways and kind of hoping that you would all sort of like maybe fight over who was supposed to be who. But also a late game retcon where like I had no plans for Emery's soul until like level 12, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So once you sort of picked some previously uninteresting or unimportant facts, take those threads and just tie them together, right? Because if you have two seemingly insignificant events or pieces of information, if they share a characteristic, suddenly that's a weird coincidence. If there are three of them, you have a trend, and you have four of them, that's definite conspiracy. <laughs> Players will absolutely latch onto it if four things are tied together. Also, that's not legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> right, you have to be attempting to conspire in order to conspire. Come on. <laughs> but you don't need four people either. <laughs> uh, and keep in mind, this is way easier than it sounds. Like, Sure, you can figure out some sort of interesting thing that four people have in common they all smell of brimstone oh it turns out they're all tieflings whatever but just by having an additional npc interested in these different things that is now a shared characteristic why is it that this person is interested in these things that don't seem to go together and then of course you know that person is murdered and now it's very interesting right yeah so th this could be you know like if the party is looking at possibly three different avenues um you know, places where they can go explore or, or threads that they could tug on. Like if there's an NPC that is also interested in two or three of those things as well, like now that NPC becomes a person of interest, right? Figuring out what they know becomes a, a step along the way of, of solving all three prongs. Yeah. And this is good advice just for, you know, world building and creating a campaign to begin with. The point of the retcon is making those pieces of information, things that the characters and the players already know about, but giving him new context or new importance. Yeah, and, and like in the in the sense of storytelling, right? You do that so that you don't have to go follow up all three leads, right? Like the goal there is cool, you have followed up one and now you have closed off the other two because you've just gotten the information you needed. You know, right. by like pulling on one thread, you've you don't have to go back to the to the hub and go down two other spokes. Right. If one of these innocuous paintings turns out to, you know, have been a way to transport demons, guess what? I bet the other three are too. Oh no, we need to go help our friends right now. Right, exactly. And if, if there's any doubt about that from the players, you have an NPC who ties that together for them. <laughs> you know, like that's the idea there. It might be that devil, for example. And then I'd say the last thing is probably it is much easier to combine concepts and ideas and pieces of information than it is to divide them. Uh, after the fact when you are retconning things right it makes a lot more sense to say that things that were not connected before oh turns out they actually are connected and there's sort of some deeper meaning to them rather than trying to take things that were connected previously and retconning it to say that they weren't important now or they don't have anything to do with each other that just makes so much less sense yeah it's it's hard to like introduce a retroactive red herring you know <laughs> like like red herrings are dangerous period right and like i think um like players are especially attuned to them like they're very unsatisfying they're frustrating they don't move your plot forward like mm -hmm. you can't then carve them off <laughs> it's the problem um sometimes like the only way to really do that to like split things that seem to be related is to simply ignore them going forward and then when somebody asks about it you just go ah don't worry about it yeah right? like, let a dangling thread dangle forever 
and you, the retcon is eh, it's just dangling and it's fine rather than like oh no that's actually a thing it was a red herring blah 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 blah. yeah <laughs> uh, i screwed up whoops <laughs> right i think maybe one way to do this though is um if you have a whole like you know oh there was a, a council of 12 elders it's going to be hard to be like actually it was three councils of four elders working on different things but you could say actually one of them was a rogue and that's the retcon like one thing that was part of a whole is now separate and yeah. you didn't know about that before all right so some caveats in retconning you want to avoid uh, basically what happened in dallas where an entire season of the show was retconned to just be a dream because patrick duffy wanted to come back to the show is that who shot jr <laughs> yeah uh yes yes are you sure yes no, wait, yeah no, who shot jr is the, was that season finale that was like the single most watched television in history right right and then it turns out he he didn't he wasn't dead right right because it was all just a dream yeah uh you don't want to get into that situation in your game because it just makes players feel like all of that success and all that failure and all that meaning didn't actually have any meaning right and and what you you generally want to avoid with retcons uh and and why you don't want to be too heavy-handed in them uh you want to be kind of judicious is that if you're constantly changing things after the fact it feels like nothing matters Right. And this is my comic book problem, by the way. Yeah. Is uh-huh. that like I can't get invested in any single story of a comic because I know in six months everything is going to be set back to zero so that they can tell the next story. Yeah. Um, I really like this Spider Man movie, but the next one is just going to do it a little differently. Yeah. It's like, I liked the Clone Saga because it's where I got started. And yet, who is Ben Riley? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can get into the situation where players will feel like they're just playing through a first draft and that, you know, hey, we can do whatever we really want. It's kind of like, you know, playing through a dream or playing through a simulation. And they just figure, well, if we don't like the way that this turned out, we'll all just retcon it later and say it did turn out the way that we liked or a way that was satisfying in the first place. Yeah, and and this is also like, there are games that give players this power, right? So uh, one example is like the flashback mechanic in Blades in the Dark. Like you can easily flash back and accidentally invalidate a lot of things that players have done as a player. Um, And so as a GM, you need to be very careful about allowing that stuff, right? Like you want decisions that got made to remain meaningful decisions because you don't want to, like if they were, um, if they had emotional weight to the players, you don't want to undermine that after the fact. Right. And that's why it's good that um, Blades in the Dark, there's a cost, an opportunity cost to do the flashback. So you can't just do it whenever you want. Yeah, I like um, you know, if if you think of like Ocean's 12 to come back to that example yet again, <laughs> right? Like the end of Ocean's 12 is, oh, well it was all for show. They were just putting on a show for Lamarck, right? They already had the egg that they were supposed to grab um because like Lamarck was being taught a lesson up front. And like that is a Blades in the Dark flashback. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like actually we all got caught, but it was all unwound and like I flashback to we already had it because our patron gave it to us. Right? And like okay sure that keeps the story going but like that's a that's a really the end to an adventure (laughs) like yeah and it it matters less when you are watching it because you at least got to still experience the fun of the heist but if you are a player in a game then it just invalidates all the cool stuff that you did because either you were supposed to do it anyway and it was just for show but you didn't know it was for show or you actually did screw up in like was that a success or no yeah exactly it's it's just yeah it can be uncomfortable so you you definitely want to avoid that sense of nothing mattering Mm -hmm. and if you you also want to avoid unilaterally retconning things especially big things when they are emotionally tied to your players or your players are emotionally invested in having created them, right? So yes, when you when you change something or you know something isn't what it seemed, it's fine if the characters were invested in them. You want them to be invested so that the change matters. But what you don't want to do is take away things that that someone feels ownership of. Like um, you know, if someone has built out their family in a really interesting way, um, and you know they they care about that and they've named all these people and you know they're interested in their lives and happenings that are going on while they're out adventuring you you don't necessarily want to like pull that entire rug out from 
from under that family uh, unless that is sort of the entire point of the campaign that you're playing yeah in that case it might be like oh actually you were adopted (laughs) like that that could very well undermine the the relationship that the player has to the character right we talked about this before you might get to a point where they're like well i don't want to play this character anymore right you know like i don't want to go through that trauma (laughs) right here here you now have an npc good job right um same thing if like you know a a beloved npc becomes the bbeg right like you might have a very negative reaction to that if that's a beloved character of the players and, and like they just don't feel like they want to go through with that right it it can work in some instances but honestly i would probably try to get some some kind of buy-in from the players on that kind of game first rather than being like hey this thing you invested i don't know 30 percent of your like emotional energy in the last campaign on i'm just going to take away right and then lastly uh you can tweak a lot of things and you can fix a lot of things with your retcon but enough is enough at a certain point uh <laughs> i'm looking at you george lucas <laughs> mcclunky <laughs> like the, the movie's fine the campaign was great walk away from it <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not even george lucas's problem anymore it's disney right well He's there was there was a time the series. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a time when he's like, "I'm just going to tweak some stuff." Uh, who did shit shoot first? Let me think about this. I'm going to change it every two years. Yeah, exactly. Keep thinking. So, I think retconning is definitely one of those things where you need to be judicious in its use. A little goes a long way, and the more you use it, the more its impact gets diluted. Yep, I think that uh, sums it up perfectly. <laughs> Uh, and since we're in agreement, we should get out of here. <laughs> Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, yes, we've now retconned that as bells, weirdly. I don't know how it's bells, but it is. Oh, well, let's move on to the character <laughs> creation forge and find out who's ringing them. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, this weekend, actually, a bunch of members in Discord were playing Warframe together, and I hopped in while I was doing taxes. So join the literal discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that that was happening. I did not know what that was. I'm glad you enjoyed yourselves. I need your stuff from your taxes, Ishan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We'll work on that right now. As soon as we talk about our sponsor this week, who is Cobalt Press. Yeah, Cobalt Press has Tome of Beasts 2 now on Kickstarter. The publisher of the original smash hit Tome of Beasts. Are we calling it Tome of Beasts 1 now? Is that because you know, it used uh, no, to be the we're Great not retconning War. it. No, it's <laughs> okay. just Tome of Beasts. No retcon. <laughs> well, Cobalt Press is wrangling a new horde of wildly original, often lethal, and highly entertaining 5e compatible monsters to challenge new players and veterans alike. The Tome of Beasts 2 will bring 400 new monsters to 5th edition from Angelic Enforcers, Sasquatch, and Shriek Bats to Psychic Vampires, Zombie Dragons, and so much more. I know a few Psychic Vampires. Mm hmm. So all Tome of Beasts 2 Kickstarter backers at the $25 level and up can submit an original monster design for possible publication. And in addition to the Tome of Beasts 2 hardcover volume and PDFs, the Kickstarter will fund the creation of monster pawns, virtual tabletop versions, monster lairs with beautiful maps, and more. I always want more monster lairs, honestly. I, you know, the, the original Tome of Beasts was like the only supplement for 5th edition for a good long while. Mm-hmm. And it is beloved. So I'm excited to see what they bring next. They do a great job of like bringing in new concepts and then expanding lines of monsters to like, you know, do that like crossover thing, you know, more elements for your dragons or like undead dragons and stuff like that. This is literally one of the ads that we run where in Discord after the show goes live, people are like, wait, I love that product. Yeah, exactly. Is there a way for me to support them that directly supports you? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that sounds interesting. You can check out more at coboldpress.com and tell them DSPN sent you. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Self-Forged. Because, of course, it is still Feberon. So 
The Selfforge. Well, actually, it used to be a 3.5 prestige class that was originally called the Renegade Mastermaker, which is both a cool name and a mouthful. Mm-hmm. But then in 4e, became the Selfforged, who are crafters, often artificers, who replace their own body parts with Warforged components. So these are non-Warforged mm-hmm. who make themselves more Warforged. And it's usually because they believe that the Warforged are some sort of like the next evolution of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, they The Warforged is is perfection. And so if I can become more like them, I will, I will become more like perfection. This is also one of those cool themes where like unlike almost all like body modification kind of themes in other fiction like this doesn't involve replacing your humanity right like there's always like Shadowrun has that thing where like technology conflicts with magic so you become less human less able to use tech or less able to use magic as you become more mechanical like we don't have that in D&D you can just be rad half half machine half living metal half human and rock out yeah I mean some druids and clerics are probably not going to dig it but hey (laughs) (laughs) prudes I have a cool rocket arm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so what's the build? It is Alchemist Artificer 15, Nature Cleric 1, Thief Rogue 4. All right, so fourth level spells, huh? Yeah, because, you know, you want to do cool stuff through your metal and stone and wood parts, right? Yeah, but at least you get the full complement of level one cleric spells which i think really rounds out your spell list yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you'll also get 10 known infusions which is like most of them or most of the good ones anyway you'll be able to create any tools from thin air and you'll have expertise in in uh every tool that you're proficient with you'll be able to attune up to five items which is great because a lot of the prosthetic items in fifth edition require attunement and then you'll be able to craft common and uncommon items in one quarter of the time, which I think brings it down to like one and one quarter days for a common item. Yep. Uh, you'll also get your spell storing item, which lets you store up to, uh, I think it will be 10, but maybe if you get to 22 intelligence, it'll be 12. Um, but uses of a first or second level artificer spell, uh, invisibility. Yeah. Uh, we use that a lot in Darson. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, from uh, alchemist you'll be able to add to the uh artificer spell list things like healing word um i like healing word as as sort of just like uh infusing yourself uh with i don't know warforged juices right like um uh, i'm just gonna stab myself in in the side or or like reconfigure a bit of my components Mm -hmm. ray of sickness which is actually really interesting i would probably flavor it as like uh a puff of toxins that don't affect me because i'm i'm part warforged so this is like a uh a scarecrow situation yeah yeah and then you get things like blight and uh death ward death ward i really like it's very flavorful you know you thought i would die but i didn't die you hit me in my chest plate mm. experimental elixir is reflavored really nicely um as temporary attachments that you might throw onto yourself they uh, let you do things like heal yourself or make yourself faster or more resilient with a bonus to AC. Make um, yourself fly. Yeah, exactly. Like um, rocket, or, uh, rocket boots. <laughs> or give yourself uh, the alter self spell where you might sort of like put on um, a horn attachment or, uh, or a swimming attachment. Right. And remember, while you roll these randomly at first, if you spend lower level spell slots to make more elixirs you can just choose which one so you should basically have a bandolier of um these uh different abilities that you can sort of turn on at any time alchemical savant gives you a bonus to damage uh on your spells or you can use that for healing as well it means you can also uh, heal yourself a a little bit restorative agents means that anytime uh, anyone is using one of your alchemical potions they're going to gain some temp hp but you know you're usually going to be using those on yourself and then the thing we're really here for is at level 14 you can ignore all of the item restrictions on magic items that means that you can ignore race restrictions that restrict things like docents and arm blades and embedded wand sheaths to warforged Mm -hmm. so if you want to attach those Warforged components, you are welcome to do that. And I I love the idea of like attaching a docent and it being like, uh, who are <laughs> Shut you? Shut up, it's fine. 
<laughs> Shut up, Siri. <laughs> Uh, then from Chemical Mastery, you'll get resistance to poison and immunity to the poison condition. Very Warforged feeling traits. Yeah, I would definitely um, play those up less as like a Mad Hatter type thing and just like I've replaced enough parts where I'm fine. I, these don't bother me at all. Yeah, mechanical lo- iron lungs. Right. Uh, and then, you know, you can cast Greater Restoration and Heal once per day. Uh, again, a Warforged can act tirelessly. So just push yourself to exhaustion and then Greater Restore yourself so that you are no longer tired. Then from Cleric, we'll get access to heavy armor proficiency and the nature skill. And the reason that we have one level of Cleric in here is specifically because Nature Cleric lets you get a Druid cantrip. And it doesn't define which spellcasting ability you have to use for this, whereas uh, Magic Initiate uh, does. So we're going to pick Shillelagh, uh, which means that we are going to have an intelligence-based shillelagh, which of course is going to be our battle fist. So when nice. when when you take your first or and only level of cleric and pick up shillelagh, this is when you are replacing one of your hands with your warforged battle fist, and uh, now it is a magic punch weapon. It's a that, power fist. Yeah, that that <laughs> you're using intelligence to attack with. Now you might say, why didn't you just uh? take uh, Battlesmith. Well, it's because Self-Forged don't really have dogs. <laughs> and also, uh, all of the potions are awesome. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, Artificers already get Thorn Whip. So, when you're casting Thorn Whip, that is just your Battle Fist firing out as like an arcane propulsion arm, grabbing somebody and pulling them back in. Mm-hmm. It's go-go gadget hand. <laughs> right. Now, you might be thinking, oh, great, I have all these potions, but what do I do with them in combat? Glad you asked. Thief Rogue 4. so of course from rogue you get expertise uh for two skills you'll get cunning action gives you some use of your bonus action but what we're here for is fast hands which allows you to uh, use an item as a bonus action rather than a full action which means you can chug that potion right in the middle of combat without having to worry about breaking your stride or administer it to your friends. Also helpful. Right. I actually really like that. I, I would probably flavor this as like, I'm not pulling a potion out of a bag and drinking it, right? I have um, basically loaded up vials that, that are embedded in my side and I'm just activating it and it's draining into my into my bloodstream, right? Yeah, exactly. Or, hey, you look like you could use some help. Uh, just drink some of my blood. Hold on. Well, I mean, it's not really blood. It's, it's not gross. It's not really blood. It's xylan. I'm going to shoot you right. with the dart. It's fine. Right. <laughs> uh, you'll also get second story work which lets you climb at full speed seems fitting enough for a half mechanical person right I just smash my battle fist into the side of this brick building and haul myself up subtle subtle <laughs> <laughs> and then I think for a feat I like aberrant dragon mark here um, more than I like magic initiate because like whatever just, just to pick up green flame blade or booming blade because you're only getting the one attack so it's nice to just stack on a whole bunch of extra damage onto it so in terms of leveling order, I think you got to get your rogue levels pretty early, right? So what do you have here? Yeah, I think we'll probably start rogue one. And then you want to get an artificer level in before you take nature cleric so that you can use intelligence to attack. So level three at the latest, you've got your battle fist. You could even do artificer one, cleric one, and now you have your battle fist. Yeah. And from there, yeah, I would finish out rogue uh, and then go straight artificer which means you have really nice capstones in being able to embed uh warforged items and then your resistance to poison damage and immunity to the poison condition right all right before we wrap up let's take a moment and thank our patreon supporters your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week so if you'd like to learn more you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill And just a reminder, if you support Patreon right now, we are getting very, very close to doing an episode on the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. So dangerously close. We are just circling the rim of that black hole. And once we enter, we'll never leave. We're just going to live inside the Forgotten Realms. You can also support the show by leaving us a (laughs) five-star review on iTunes. Uh, If you do so, we will read your review on the air. So what do we plan for next week's episode? We are continuing our series on playing non-human characters, and we are talking about playing Asimar. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Earth Angel. Well, that's it for episode 238 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 
Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including Ishin What? Dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. And all the products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. Hey, Ishin, do you want some gemstone dice? I do, actually, yes. <laughs> well, perhaps you should check out Elderwood Academy, because they have dice available in both gemstones and in a variety of metals. I am a huge fan of metal dice, honestly. Um, tables are not a huge fan. Well, other people's tables are not a huge fan of my metal dice, but, you know, that's the risk you take when you invite me over to your place. Well, that's why you pick up a scroll rolling tray to roll your metal dice in, so you don't damage the table underneath. I guess that is the next thing that I'm going to have to do, huh? Mm-hmm. I already have one. You could borrow mine. No, I'm going to get my own. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All right. So if that sounds cool, you can check out that product and a bunch more at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. 